Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. And as you turn there, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids who are pre-K and kindergartners, they can go to the back for Children's Church. We have been working our way through a fall series on the Ten Commandments. We come this morning to the Ninth Commandment, which is about truth and lies in the kingdom of God. I want to add my words to Kate's words, wishing our church a 45th birthday. Happy birthday, Pinewoods Church. Uh, I also had a birthday this week, 46, so I am one year older than the church. And uh, I want to thank the anonymous member of our church who gave me one of my favorite birthday presents this week. It is a little statue of Julius Caesar that is also a pencil holder, and the pencil holder is in his back. And so uh, I mentioned it, and so we have fun in Sunday school sometimes, and I had a picture of this in my Sunday school presentation, and uh, some anonymous person, unsigned, got me a Julius Caesar pencil holder, and uh, I laugh every time I see it. It's just my sense of humor. Maybe I need to go back to the one about thou shalt not murder. This is God's word starting in Exodus 20. We're going to be reading in verse 1, giving special attention to verse 16. This is God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And now if you still have your Bible open, please turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 25 has served as sort of the theme verse for this series, especially that little phrase, the law of liberty. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms how we understand the commandments, transforming them for us into words of freedom and life and joy because of Jesus. James 1, 25. 
but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words of, of life and healing and hope. Lord, apart from Jesus, these words condemn us, for we can never keep all of your commandments perfectly. And yet, because of Jesus, our perfect law keeper, we have for us in these words, words of joy and life and ultimately peace, because Jesus has made peace between you and us on the cross. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us now through your word, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. This morning, as I came before Sunday school, I always come a little bit early in the morning, usually around 7 a.m., and I look at my sermon, and I pray, and I spend some time, and then I come in, and I speak to those who have come for the Sunday school classes and different things. And this morning I had the privilege of talking to one of our younger church members, a, a young man who's in middle school, and he volunteered for me that last night he had been listening to one of my sermons on the internet. I was very impressed by this young man, and so I said to him, what did you think? Did it make sense? And he said, not really. But I hope it will someday. This morning, we're going to talk about telling the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. Is there more than one way to tell the truth? Is there such a thing as a harmless lie? Do the words we say matter? Is it okay to tell someone what we think they want to hear? Be honest. Do these jeans make me look fat? Don't answer that. These are some of the questions we'll be asking this morning as we look at the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, you shall not lie. You shall be truth tellers, witnesses of Jesus Christ who is the way and the truth and the life. This is such an important issue because we live in a world where it seems like everyone lies. Politicians lie and marketers and advertisers and journalists and even preachers. Tweeters and bloggers and Facebook posters, first daters and Christian minglers and Match.com users. A little over a decade ago, a company in Colorado did a study of more than 3 million resumes, and they determined that at least half of those 3 million resumes contained at least one lie, often many more. In other words, when it comes to dishonesty, LinkedIn is practically the eighth circle of hell. <laughs> That's where Dante put liars, only one level above Judas Iscariot himself. The scary thing about deception 
is that it's not just an out there problem in the world, in Washington, D.C., in the advertising firms of New York and Los Angeles. It's actually an in-here problem. It's a problem that comes from our hearts. Often, we lie to one another, and we lie to ourselves. It's called denial. Denial is why the comb-over exists. Denial is why we put a piece of electric tape over the check engine light in our car. Denial is why Nebraska still fields a football team, uh, in spite of the fact they have very little hope of winning. It's been a, a long 20 years for Nebraska fans. The question is, where do we go from here? If we live in a world where everyone lies, and we even lie to ourselves, is there any hope? How do we live a life of total honesty, total integrity? Is there grace for liars and spinners and half-truth tellers? Is there help for those who've been deceived? Is there healing for people who've been lied about, for people who've been slandered and gossiped against and rumored against and innuendoed against? The answer is yes, absolutely yes. There is grace and there's healing and there's hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Alexander Pope put it this way. He wrote, an honest man is the noblest work of God. In other words, honesty isn't something that we are born with. Honest people aren't born. Honest people are reborn. Honesty is a supernatural work of God. That means dishonest people can become honest people by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth, and the promise of the gospel is that we can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Because truth is more than an abstract concept. Truth is a person. Truth is is the second member of the Trinity. Truth is the Son of the living God. So where do we begin? If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. As we look at the ninth commandment, I want us to ask five big questions about the destructive power of lies and the healing power of truth. The first big question is this. What does it mean to bear false witness against our neighbor. What is the commandment forbidding when he says don't don't commit false witness against your neighbor? Second big question or is what are some of the common ways that we break the ninth commandment? Third, are there any exceptions? Is it ever okay to lie? What about those little white lies? What about those convenient and selective truths that we tell? We'll talk about that. Fourth, why is the truth so important? And then finally, how do we become truthful people? How do we change? In many ways, the ninth commandment tells us the ugly truth about who we are apart from Christ. But it also shows us the beautiful truth of who we could become if God ignites a truth revolution in our souls. How does that happen? 
Well, let's take a closer look. We begin with our first big question, and it's this. What does it mean to bear false witness against our neighbors? Now, in the immediate context, the commandment is about perjury, telling a lie under oath in a court of law. Now, that's obviously still very important today, but that was very especially important in the first century, which was a world before forensics and ballistics and DNA. In the first century, no one had cell phone cameras to record crimes in progress. There were no dash cams or ring doorbell cameras. And so, the, the matter of, of a conviction or acquittal, and in the case of death penalty cases, life and death rested on the strength of eyewitness testimony in the court of law. So, at its most basic level, this commandment is telling us that we need to have truth in order to have a functioning legal system. There is no justice, ultimately, apart from truth. But, like a a pebble dropped in the water, which makes consecutive rings going further and further out, this commandment has broader application as well. When Jesus talked about this commandment, the ninth commandment, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said something very intriguing. He said, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. In other words, there are no levels of truth. There are no higher truths and lesser truths. There's no distinction between courtroom truth and classroom truth. There's no difference between courtroom truth and social media truth. There's no difference between courtroom truth and fishing truth or uh, golf course truth. Truth is truth and lies are lies because God is God. And as Christians, Jesus says, we are always under oath. Whether or not we raise our hands and put our one hand on the Bible and one hand to the Lord, we are always, at all times, under oath. Second big question. What are some common ways that we break the ninth commandment? Well, there are many ways that we can break the ninth commandment. We've already talked about perjury, lying under oath in a court of law. There's fraud when businesses or corporations or churches lie to the public. We can make false accusations in criminal courts, in civil courts, in in church courts, in the court of public opinion. Uh, Yelp reviews, anyone? Have you ever read it? Don't read the Yelp reviews. They're always some terrible thing that happened, which may or may not be true. People can lie by failing to come forward with the truth. If someone is falsely accused and we remain silent, then our silence has the power to distort reality. And a lie is nothing more or nothing less than a distortion of reality. Most of us would agree that those types of lies are are fairly obvious, and we would say, yes, these are always wrong. But most of us have never and will never commit perjury in a court of law. Most of us will never even testify under oath in a court of law. Most of us have never and and will never be involved in sort of grand-scale fraud like a, a Ponzi scheme. There are only so many Bernie Madoffs and Enrons in the world. That's true. 
Most of us will never perpetuate a, a hoax uh, like the moon landing or something. <laughs> That's just a joke. Moon land, we totally went to the moon, okay? The world is not flat, and uh, Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, okay? But what about these socially acceptable lies that we tell? What about the harmless lies? What about the more common ways we break the ninth commandment? Well, let's, let's see four of them. Number one, slander and gossip. In Leviticus 19, verse 16, we read, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Slander is when you say something that's not true or only partially true with the intention of ruining someone's reputation. Gossip is similar to slander, the only difference being that gossip is something that we do in secret. Uh, People shout slander, people whisper gossip. A slanderer makes loud accusations, while a gossip makes quiet insinuations. Now, gossip and slander happen all the time. They're very common sins, but especially that's true in the age of social media. In our day, gossip and slander are no more than a few clicks and uh, comments away. In our world, anyone can go online and spread fake news and misinformation. We can use our digital presence and our footprints to bully other people and destroy their reputations. It, It happens all the time. It happens to teenagers at school. It happens to small business owners who have unhappy customers. Sometimes it happens to pastors who have disgruntled former church members. It's always easier to use our words to tear people down than it is to use our words to build people up. There's an old Jewish proverb that says that when we engage in slander and gossip, it's like ripping open a feather pillow on a windy day. The words that we say, the lies, the slanders, the half-truths spread everywhere. And even if we want to to bring them back and put them back in the pillowcase, it's too late. As its saying goes, a lie goes around the world twice before the truth can get its boots on. It's no wonder that James, the brother of Jesus Christ, says that malicious words are like a raging forest fire. One one careless lie, one half-truth, whether whispered in secret or proclaimed from the hilltops, can spark a raging inferno that destroys everything in its path. Gossip and slander Number two, flattery and boasting. We break the ninth commandment when we exaggerate or distort the truth about ourselves or other people in order to manipulate someone. In Psalm 12, David writes, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off flattering lips. A flatterer says kind things to his or her boss, not because he or she is being sincere, but in order to get a raise or perhaps more vacation time or a promotion at work. A flatterer says nice things to the teacher in order to get a better uh, grade on the test. 
single people, some of you just call this dating. (laughs) You really like this guy, he might be the one, and so every joke is hilarious, the funniest thing you've ever heard. You really like this gal. She's, she's definitely marriage material. And so everything she says is brilliant. The most brilliant thing that you've ever heard. Now the problem with flattery is that it looks a lot like encouragement, but it's not. Encouragement is about building the other person up for their own good, while flattery is about building another person up for our own good encouragement is inherently selfless while flattery is inherently selfish now this might be its own separate entity entry on the list but i think boasting falls under the same general category as flattery because when you're boasting what you're really doing is you're flattering yourself when we flatter we exaggerate another person's positive qualities when we boast We exaggerate our own positive qualities. But in both instances, it's not about loving you or building you up. It's about loving me. It's about exalting and glorifying myself above other people. That's probably why in the same passage where David condemns flattery, he writes, May the Lord cut off the tongue that makes great boasts number three prejudice prejudice literally means prejudging a prejudiced person assumes that they know the truth about a person or situation without knowing all the facts now prejudice is often based on race but it could also be based on gender or economic factors or age prejudice says Don't bother me with the facts. I know how those people are. And so, we never have to get to know them for who they are as individuals. That kind of thing tramples on the truth and it causes us to trample on our neighbors because we assume that we know things about the other person, many of which happen to be untrue. Number four, little white lies. These are little polite lies, lies that we tell to avoid uncomfortable situations. One writer called them diplomatic untruths. I think that's a good euphemism. Would you like another impossible burger? Of course. They taste just like the real thing. (laughs) Do you like my new haircut? Well, it looks better on you than it did on Dorothy Hamill. Of course I would like to go with you to the opera on Friday. I cannot think of a better way to use three hours and 17 minutes of the one life that God has given me than to go hear people singing in foreign languages. Harmless, right? Maybe, but maybe not. See, the problem with accepting a culture where we tell each other little white lies and we make that the norm is that we're also creating a culture where cynicism is the norm. When everyone tells uh, little white lies all the time in order to avoid 
hard, uncomfortable conversations, then we begin to look at everything in our world with just a little bit of suspicion. A culture that winks at little white lies is a culture that can't really be trusted. And without trust, there's no possibility of love because love requires openness and honesty and vulnerability. Which leads to our third big question, which is this. Are there ever any exceptions? Are lies ever acceptable? Well, according to the Bible, lying is only permissible when a lie will save a life. The Bible, you should know, covers about 4,000 years of history. And in all of those 4,000 years, there are only a couple of instances of this. It's very, very rare. In Exodus chapter 1, two Hebrew midwives were required by the Pharaoh to kill all the Israelite boys who were born in the land of Egypt. The, uh, the midwives lied to Pharaoh and his servants. They saved the little babies' lives, and God is said to be pleased with their actions. He was pleased with them because even though they lied to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, They did so in order to save life. In the book of Joshua, a woman named Rahab told a lie to save the lives of two Hebrew uh, spies, Joshua and Caleb. And in Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that Rahab was one of the great heroes of the faith. Again, this is a very, very rare circumstance. 99.99% of us will never find ourselves in a circumstance like this. But if the Nazis come to your door demanding to know whether you are hiding Jews in the attic, then God seems to want us to say no. That we are permitted to, and perhaps even commanded to lie in those rare, rare circumstances when a lie will save a life. The Bible seems to teach that there are people who, because of their murderous or criminal intentions, have forfeited the right to know the truth. If a thief comes to you, a known thief, and says, Can you tell me where you hide your spare key? We are not under an obligation to tell the thief that we even have a spare key, much less direct them directly to where it is. Perhaps this is what Jesus was talking about when he told us that we are not to cast our pearls before swine. In other words, we don't have an obligation to tell the truth to people who will choke on the truth trample on the truth, and then use the truth to turn around and trample on us. Again, these are very, very rare exceptions, but the exceptions prove the rule. The rule is that all Christians should have truth as our default. Our default setting as Christians should be truth-tellers, The only exception might be to save the life of another person, but I would say that it is often uh, told in the Bible that it is good to tell the truth even when harm may come upon ourselves. And so, 
We should be people who default to the truth. Fourth big question, why is the truth so important? Why should truth be our default setting? Why does honesty matter? Well, two reasons. Christians should care about truth because the truth matters to God, and Christians should care about truth because our neighbors matter to God. God is a God of truth. According to Titus chapter 1, God never lies. He is always truthful 100% of the time. He can't lie because lying is against his nature. He can't lie like a dog can't read a book. He can't lie like a fish can't breathe fresh air. Lying is impossible to him because lying is against his nature. That's why Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus didn't merely speak the truth, though he did. He said, I am the truth. Truth is essential to my nature. Truth is who God is. But don't miss this. Truth is not merely an abstract principle. Truth matters to God because people matter to God. Just as we're not to bear false witness against our neighbors because lying harms our neighbors, so also we are to tell the truth for our neighbors because the truth helps them. We're to speak the truth in love so that our neighbors might be built up and encouraged so that our neighbors might see Jesus who is the truth who loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. Lying is so damaging because it says, I'm more important than you. I can say what I want because I am more important than who you are. I can say what I want as long as it benefits me. That's not love. And Jesus taught us that love is the fulfillment of the law. In fact, if you could summarize the last six commandments, the summary would be, love your neighbor as yourself. Truth matters because God matters and because our neighbors matter. Fifth big question, how do we become truthful people? Now, if you have been listening to this and you feel a sense of conviction, then you are not alone. I break this commandment all the time. I have told little white lies and big, bold, ugly lies. I have boasted. I have exaggerated. I have uh, lied to my neighbors. I've lied to my family. You name it, I've done it in terms of breaking this commandment. And so the question for me and for all of us is, how do we change? In a world where everyone lies, how do we become consistent truth-tellers? Well, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the things we say come from our hearts. And so, if we want to say new things, different things, we have to have new hearts. How do we get them? Well, the first thing that we need to do to get the new heart that God came to give through Jesus is to admit the truth about ourselves. And then, 
believe the truth about Jesus. Believing the gospel. Here's the hard truth. We lie because we are liars. Just like truth is part of God's nature, lying is part of our sinful human nature. Ever since Adam and Eve believed Satan's lies in the Garden of Eden, we have been hiding from God and hiding the truth from one another. According to Romans 1, we know the truth. The truth is out there, but we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's a hard thing to admit, but once we come face to face with that, we're ready to believe the truth about who Jesus says we are because of him. Because of Jesus, we are loved. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we have been adopted into the family of God. Because of Jesus, you are no longer who Satan says you are. Satan will come to you as the father of lies, and he will tell you, because you are untruthful, you are disqualified from the kingdom of God. You're a liar. You've always been a liar. That's always your nature. That's always will be whoever you are forever and ever. Amen. It's not true. Don't believe it. Not even for a second. We are told in the scripture, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. Because of Jesus, you are not who other people say that you are. The lies that have been told about you, the gossip, the slander, the demeaning words that people have said to you in your life, it's simply not true. We are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. We are pure because of Jesus. We are holy because of Jesus. We are strong because of Jesus. We have purpose in life because of Jesus. We are forgiven because of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross, before Jesus died on the cross, Pontius Pilate, then the governor who was proceeding over his his case, asked the infamous question, what is truth? The great tragedy of that question is that he was speaking to the truth. Jesus, the truth of God, the eternal word of God, was looking him in the eye, and he completely missed it. He missed the reality that truth is, is a person, the Son of God, who loved us and laid down His life for us on the cross. That is the truth. In John 8, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, truly you are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You shall not lie. You shall Believe the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that though we often lie to you and to one another, even though we often lie to ourselves, there is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. 
We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth of who we are in Christ. And I pray that you would impress that truth upon our hearts, that we might change, that we might be people who speak the truth in love to our friends and our neighbors and even the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that your truth would change our hearts, and we pray that your truth would change the world. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.